This morning's reading is taken from Matthew 27, verses 45 to 50. It's actually on page 945 of your pew Bibles, 945. That's Matthew 27, 45 to 50, the death of Jesus. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they called They said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and put a sponge and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. conscious that this may not be that um, you know, child-friendly, so you may want to let the little ones cut loose. But um, one of the things that has always um, stirred me up about Easter, but I've ever, always rather failed to realize or get involved in, is this time for deep, reverent meditation. In my experience last Sunday, <clears throat> the Easter memory is one of Easter egg hunts and throwing sticks in the pond with Alfie here. So despite my best intentions, I often miss out on some of these wonderful meditative truths that Easter is all about. So I guess today I'm trying to look at two issues, one of which is the real meaning and the extent of the suffering of Jesus on the cross, and then the second is the the, the true impact of the resurrection for us today, 2010, Christians here in St. Dionys. So they're the kind of the themes at stake. And if you're anything like me, I've always struggled with this idea that somehow Jesus' cross or Jesus' death on the cross was um, a unique event. Uh, You look at figures throughout history, such as the First World War, soldiers in the First World War, who died in far more gruesome ways. You look at prisoners of conscience trapped for years in solitary confinement. You look at the Jews in the Holocaust. And whilst Christ's death on the cross is gruesome and horrific, In terms of the physical pain, it doesn't necessarily compare to the many hundreds or thousands or maybe more of people that have suffered far more protracted deaths over history. And similarly, if you look at some of the Christian martyrs throughout our own church history, they too have faced death for the sake of faith in far more, um, I guess you could say, heroic ways. If you think of Ridley and Latimer, the Protestant reformers in the 1550s, who were burnt at the stake uh, as the flames licked around Latimer's, I suppose, waist as he was tied to the stake. He shouted across to his friend, Nicholas Ridley, and said, Be of good cheer, my friend, and play the man. So when we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, If it be your will, Lord, take this cup from me. And when he sweated blood through sheer terror and fear, it hardly marries up with this idea of, guy who is heroically facing death 
Um, and so I guess the question that um, has often struck me is, what is so overwhelming and potent about Jesus' death on the cross, his crucifixion? And I guess if we look at it through specifically physical contexts or examples or whatever, we miss out. And the real reason why Jesus' death on the cross is so emphatic and horrendous, we need to look briefly at the nature of the Trinity. And we think of God, Spirit, Son, the Father, Spirit, Son, this relationship or Trinity welded together by absolute love and intimacy. And so when we think of what happened on the cross and the cry of dereliction, we read in the reading, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is this wrenching apart, <laughs> so this is my son, ripping apart of the father-son relationship that leads to such agony. They had been together since the dawn of time, the pre-dawn of time. As an archaeology student, we used to study a concept called deep time, which is beyond human comprehension. It seeks to examine time from a non-linear angle, this idea that is beyond human parameters of comprehension. And so on the basis that Christ had been part of this wonderful dance of the Father, Spirit, and Son, sorry, Father, Son, Spirit relationship, to have that so gruesomely, emphatically severed on the cross when instead of at the end of his human life, Christ was ushered into heaven, but the pure, sinless Lamb of God was thrown and descended into hell, the realm of, of, of Satan. And so in some respect, our ability to try and understand the horrendous impact of Christ's suffering on the cross has to be seen through this light of this detachment, this wrenching apart of the, of the Trinity. And even with our own finite human minds, it's quite a hard exercise. So I guess the seed that I would like to plant is this idea that the resurrection, said again, the crucifixion, is way beyond this idea of just a physical death. And to some extent, as the Americans would say, I work for an American firm, they're always saying, hey man, what's the takeaway of that? What's the so what? For us as, as Christians today, when we sing at Christmas time, O come, O come, Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us. And we can know with absolute conviction that Jesus has been through what we've been through. Um, if I was to give an example of this idea of the wrenching apart of, 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 of that, that Trinity relationship, I used to work for a, uh, a charity that looked after ex-offenders. So when they left life sentences in prison, like Wormwood Scrubs, Pentonville, they'd come and spend time with us. And there was a guy there called John, John Hill, an Irishman who had been brought into a very big, born into a very big Irish family. And at the age of six, his mother had taken him off to a traveling fairground. They got the bus out, in the, in, I guess in the early 1950s or whatever, um, out of Dublin. And he had been looking forward to this treat for some time. And he was put on one of those merry-go-rounds. And he remembers it vividly because he was explaining to us um, where it all went wrong for him. And as he went round and round, he was waving to his mother first time, second, third time. On the fourth time, he noticed that she wasn't there. And fifth, sixth, she wasn't there again. And she'd gone. She'd left him. I haven't necessarily done justice to this story. But he was abandoned as a six-year-old. And then obviously, as you can imagine, wandered around and eventually fell into a number of, I suppose, child adoption agencies and was looked after by the Catholic brothers. But there is this sense of absolute rejection in that story. And even that is just an inkling of, if you like, the cosmic abandonment 
that Jesus went through on our behalf on the cross, through the crucifixion. And so getting back to this sense of takeaway, if we bear in mind that small story of John, John Hill, ditched by his mother, his parents, who couldn't handle him, couldn't afford to look after him, he then went into a series of, you know, the scarring that associates itself with that kind of trauma. He was, you know, a, I suppose a, a perennial heroin addict, in and out of prison, um, etc., etc. But I guess the takeaway then for us living today, getting back to this point of Emmanuel, God with us, is that for all the, the pain and damage that we go through, it will never compare to what Jesus himself endured as a human on this earth, the scorn, the rejection, the betrayal, the sense of abandonment that I touched on earlier. Now, in a sense, this is a consolation for us, but it's not the be-all and end-all, because Jesus doesn't leave us hanging in the lurch. Two days later, on the Sunday after the Good Friday, we see the wonder of the resurrection. And I guess that is the final answer of God to the concept of human suffering. And if I could just again indulge you with a story... I um, travel a bit with my work, and I was in the Middle East earlier this year. I was, I was in Saudi Arabia, and I had to take a flight from Jeddah to Riyadh. And bizarrely, I found myself sitting next to an imam. Now, unlike uh, the cabin crew in, in the UK or Europe, where you get given a, you know, a toffee or a, a boiled sweet to help alleviate the pressure on your ears, we kept on being given cardamom um, seed kind of coffee or a drink, and dates. And as I was chatting with this imam... He explained to me that one of the things he was most looking forward to about paradise, well, clearly what we'd call heaven, was the prospect of more dates. And it became clear that it wasn't just dates, but also uh, large numbers of women that were quite a lot younger than him uh, and for whom he was a sole conduit of their affection, if that makes sense. Um, and it dawned on me as Christians, we have such a very different view of heaven. For us, heaven is not some immaterial other world. But actually, as the Bible said, heaven is, uh, well, Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And therefore, looking at it through the lens of suffering, when we think of all the, um, the pain and the damage of this earth, not only that's been done by us, but to us as individuals, when God returns, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, to restore this new heaven and new earth, it won't be transporting us to some other far-off land, far-off alien planet. But it will be a renewal, a cleansing, if you like, a, a healing of this painful world in which we live now. And therefore, all the bad things that are done to us or have we been responsible for will be undone and will be made clean. I'm not sure I've done this justice, but here comes Alfie again. One of the strange things that I have as, a, as someone that comes in and out of good sleep, but I do have these recurring nightmares of... I guess, of, of, of Alfie and, and Jemima, my little children, being abducted uh, at night, even though I've locked the doors. And I'll wake up, and then when I hear Alfie is currently in sleeping in our bed, and I can hear Jemima because she's teething, shouting around downstairs, there is this wonderful sense of, it's okay. And it's not only relief, but there is a delight or a sense of an enrichment, because what I thought I'd lost in my dream life is actually there, restored and made real. And so there is this wonderful sense of all that I've been through in this shocking state of terror in my dream is actually fine. And because I thought I'd lost them, because I thought they had been snatched from me in this imaginative concept, 
But for real, they're there. There is this beautiful moment of, ah, and an enrichment in the relationship that I have with them. Now, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that our concept of heaven should not be that it's a, I'm trying to think of the best word, but uh, it's not a consolation of the life that we'd, sorry, of the life that we'd never had, but rather a, res a restoration of the life that we'd always wanted. I'm not sure that I've done that justice, but there is this sense, though, that heaven will be enriched and made more glorious by the suffering that we've endured here on earth. And as a final kind of gesture of this story that I mentioned of John Hill, the guy whose mother abandoned him, who was then thrown into a series of criminal activities which led to heroin addiction and an extended 40-odd years, I suppose, of in and out of prison. One of the more meaningful moments of my life was praying with this guy about 18 months ago. The reason I remember it so well is because despite having been let out of prison, he always wears his prison uniform with HMP Pensonville, Her Majesty's Prison Pensonville. And there he was in the clothes of, you know, the British justice system. And there he was with his arms out rather like this, praying to receive um, Jesus, the good shepherd, who promised to come after the lost sheep. And as he cried and spoke through all the pain that he'd been through, and he's still going through it, he's back in prison, there was this wonderful sense of Christ's death and resurrection being made whole in this guy's life. For all the suffering and the, the pain that he'd lived through and still continues to live through, we know that in, in heaven all that will be reversed and made so much more glorious because of the horrors that he's lived through in this life and because of what lies await for him when all these things will be healed and the pain has been undone. I've covered quite a few issues there, but please, if you remember nothing else, remember that the crucifixion of Christ was something far, far greater than the physical pain. And please understand also that the prospect of the resurrection life that awaits us in heaven will be so much more emphatic and beautiful on the basis of the sufferings that we endure here on this earth, because we'll see those sufferings in the light of the, all that was meant to be and that can be healed and restored when we get to heaven. So thanks for listening. I'll wrap this up with a quick prayer. But Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that this life is not all there is, but because of your death on the cross and your new life and resurrection power, Lord, we may know that eternal line of living that transcends way, way beyond this human existence and into the wonder and glory of the new heaven and new earth that you have in store for us. So let us hold that truth and that seed in our hearts as we head out of this church service. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Um, would you like to stand? We're just going to sing our last song. Um, but just before we do... Um